Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Alicia Buetes. And I'm Jacob Shackman. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Hi everyone, it's time for another educational episode. Today we are talking about electrospinning. You may have heard me mention it a few times during our interview sessions. Electrospinning has gained popularity. I first started using it as an honors student and it has become one of my passions. It is a robust instrument and is applicable in many fields. It is most commonly used in packaging, cosmetics, biomedical and pharmaceutical applications, and even in food preservation. This episode is just a quick introduction to electrospinning, and I will definitely expand on the application of electrospinning more in the next part of this series. We will talk about how electrospinning is used in, in applications such as air filtration, as biocompatible graphs for tissue engineering, and even in drug delivery systems, where the electrospun fibers or electrospate particles are used as bioactive materials. There are also various types of polymers that are used and selected for these applications, and that I will also expand on more in a separate part for this series. So the history of electrospinning begins in the 16th century with William Gilbert. He was investigating the magnetic and electrostatic behavior and observed that a piece of amber that was suitably electrical charged and brought near a droplet of water would form a cone shape and a small droplet would be ejected from the tip of the cone. This was the first recorded observation of electrospraying. The process of electrospinning was patented by J.F. Cooley in May 1900, and then in 1914, John Zeleny published work on the fluid droplets and attempted to mathematically model the behavior of fluids under electrostatic forces. So firstly, what is electrospinning? What is an electrospinning instrument? And what is it made of? The components of an electrospinning instrument is very simple. Firstly, you will need a syringe with a capillary needle. Then you will need some sort of syringe pump that can keep the flow rate of the solution within the syringe constant. Then you will need an applied voltage. And then finally, a collector base, which is either grounded or negatively charged. The voltage is applied on the needle. And instead of a mechanical force that draws the fibers from the syringe, we use a voltage-driven fabricational technology. This means that when the solution is pumping through the syringe and finally through the capillary needle, it forms a cone-like droplet, which is called a Taylor cone, which is from Geoffrey Taylor, who worked with electric spraying in 1964. Because of the applied voltage on this droplet, the solution will then be jetted from this droplet and then start forming this nanofibers that we can use in various applications. But let's just backtrack because there are a few things we need to know about electrospinning instruments before we go any further. An electrospinning instrument doesn't just make nanofibers. You can have electrospinning, which is where you want to synthesize nanofibers, but you can also do electrospraying which is then where you create nanoparticles or nanocoatings. These types of nanoparticles and nanofibers can be synthesized with synthetic polymers or natural polymers. So let's go by a stepwise approach on how we would go about electrospinning. Firstly, you would have to select a polymer that is suitable for the application that you require. 
And then you would have to go and find a solvent that dissolves this polymer, but is also volatile, so it will evaporate during the electrospinning procedure. Then you will have to find a syringe and a capillary needle that suits your polymer and the viscosity of your solution. You will also select a pump, wherethrough you can control the flow rate of your solution pumping through your syringe. Then a high voltage is applied to the needle during the pumping of the solution. As the voltage is increased, the electrostatic repulsive forces influences the solution coming from the needle and creates a cone shape called a Taylor cone as mentioned. This jet that is ejected from the Taylor cone becomes projected from the droplet and is whipped into a spiral-like motion due to the electrostatic forces caused by the applied voltage. During this time, the solution becomes entangled and causes nanofibers to form. This is also the time where the solvent is evaporating. The dried product is then collected on the collector base, and this collector base is usually negatively charged or grounded. Different types of needles and instruments can be utilized to scale up this procedure for larger companies and for mass production of nanofibers. You have three basic types of electrospinning. You have the single electrospinning, which is a simple process where you select one polymer and work with that. Then you have a multi-electrospinning procedure where you can blend two polymers together. And then you have the coaxial electrospinning procedure where you use one capillary needle inside another needle, which separates incompatible ingredients and then causes encapsulation. This usually gives us a core shell structure. And in many applications, the core can be the bioactive ingredient, which is then coated by the outer shell. Or, in some cases, the core is simply the scaffold or the structural material or filler, and the outside exterior shell, the coating, is the bioactive ingredient. So if you're interested in making nanofibers and not nanoparticles or nanocoatings, or vice versa, there are a few parameters that you need to take into account in order to be successful in this electrospinning or electrospraying procedure. To make nanofibers, you will have to make sure that your solution has a high viscosity, but not too high. You want to make sure that the viscosity is high enough that it can cause entanglement during the whipping action from the Taylor cone to the collector base. If you have a low viscosity solution, you will inevitably cause electrospraying and then create particles or coating. Then you have three other parameters that are very important to take into account during electrospinning or electrospraying. Firstly, the environment is very important. The temperature and the humidity plays a large role in the formation of a smooth fiber mat. During the process of electrospinning, the voltage that is applied is also playing a big role on how the electrostatic forces will influence the solution. And this can be varied and lowered or increased as needed. The voltage that applies is usually between 10 to 15 kilovolts, but it can be altered. Then the distance from the tip of the needle to the collector base is also very important. This is usually about 15 centimeters. The flow rate varies quite a bit depending on the solution and the viscosity as well, but this is also very important to control in order to keep the solution flowing consistently and to allow no bursts of solution or bubbles to form. And then the sample preparation is very important. The viscosity of your polymer solution 
is influenced by the polymer itself, the molecular weight of the polymer, and the polymer concentration, which you make up in the solution. Then the conductivity of your polymer is also very important, and the surface tension as well. The solvent volatility, as I've mentioned, is definitely one of the main things you need to focus on when you're selecting a solvent, because you want your product to be dry by the time it is collected on the collector base. So finally, when you successfully electrospun or electrosprayed, you will end up with a fiber mat or coating that has particles or fibers of a nanometer scale. There are also various types of electrospinning setups, all with the same components, of course, but you get horizontal electrospinning, you get vertical electrospinning, and then you get ball spinnerette, and various other types that have been modified for various types of uses. So I will go into more detail about this as well in our next episode. So you can stay tuned for that. If you have any comments or questions, please send them to polymerciencepodcast at gmail.com and I will make sure to answer them in the next part of this educational episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found it useful. Thank you for your support and have a great day.